snow crown. That's nice. Right. So when I was a kid, I was, I think I was telling, I think I was like seven. I had to be little. Um, I have this memory, and I was, uh, I was standing, it was a daycare, and I know I was standing at the gate, this back gate, so they had all the playground stuff, and um, is that secure? Just... <laughs> oh, here we go. So, so I just remember, uh, now I, what I remember, I remember it as like this, like one of those tall um, uh, uh, tennis court gates. But it probably wasn't that big because it was little. So, it's, you know, but I do remember there's this green mesh on, the, on um, the gate. And I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was like, Mom! I mean, and I just remember, like, I mean, I was screaming. And I was straining, apparently, really hard, because the next thing I remember, I was in the bathroom, like, the, with the worker helping me out. But I remember, and I totally, I think that, I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I'm sort of transporting this back there. What the weirdest thing is, I remember thinking that, like imagining my voice going over that gate out to my mom. She's going to hear and she's going to come and get me. Right? So then I have another memory. Um, same sort of situation. So I, I was in swim lessons. Okay? I was little this time because I had these little Speedos. <laughs> and, and you know that's never happening again. <laughs> but what I what was you know the the speedos okay here's where they were right and I know my mom's gonna hear this but like it's like it was red white and blue and it had like a little anchor on the front I don't know what she was thinking so I'm you know terrified and I just remember I had this worker and she's I, I remember she was holding me like we were supposed I don't remember what we were doing. we were supposed to do this butterfly thing I don't know. I had no, I mean, they just kept talking, and I didn't understand anything they were saying. But she's holding me, and I remember looking out, and, you know, like the huge, it was like at the Y, and there were these huge doors rolled up, and I remember seeing my mom go, go in to get in the car to go back to work. I think it was something like a lunch hour. And she would take me, go back to work, come back and get me, and then, you know, I don't, I don't remember what happened after that, because obviously I was traumatized. But, so I'm watching, and she's, She's gone, and I just remember, like, just being totally uh, alone, right? Feeling like, oh, scared. What is, what's this? Ah. Right? So fast forward, and I never had to take the girls for their first day of school, really, right? And I didn't think it was a big deal. Like, I mean, like a, you know, like a, whoa, you know, Tracy was always real upset and 
that kind of thing. But I was not, you know, uh, because I was usually, uh, you know, at work or something. So I never, like, had to do that. But, you know, I did, but then it didn't, like, really, I mean, it didn't, um, maybe I was just glad I didn't have to, have to do it. But, but then, but then I had a boy, okay? And that messed me up, right? Because this little kid goes off to school. Look at that. Wow. This kid goes to school, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. How is he going to make it in that jungle? <laughs> Do they not know how terrifying this is? Are you crazy? Right? So, you know, I'm like hypervigilant. <laughs> Still, no way I'm taking him by myself, right? I think I had to take him one time. You know, never again. So, but that feeling of being out there, right? Scared, alone. Where's, where's my person that's going to that's going to be there, protect me, help me, right? And then as a dad, on the other side, kind of going, wow, how can I, you know, make sure he's okay? I feel like I got sort of both sides of this, and it dawned on me that that's kind of the context of this prayer. Listen to John 13, 1. Just listen to it. Listen to this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then 14, or excuse me, 1336, again, just listen to this. Let it, let it hit you. So this is after Jesus has been telling him, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be going somewhere. You can't go with me. I'm going to be leaving. Simon Peter, he says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then, 14.1, right after that, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then lastly, 14.18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. That context is where we all are. That state of dependence. You might not be aware of just how crazy and nuts living here is. 
I mean living in a fallen world. We don't reflect on that very much. What, what in the world would it be like to live in a world that God abandoned? We don't know because he didn't. But that sort of hamstrings us because we forget how very dependent we are on the fact that he has not abandoned. And here you have, you have, you have Peter, right? You know, walking with Jesus, best intentions, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> you're not. But here, believe in me. Believe in God. Don't let your heart be troubled. I mean, even after that, Jesus is saying, being out here, you're not alone. You're not abandoned. I'm here. That's the context of this prayer. I was thinking and listening to this, listening to the sermon so far, I'm just from my own experience, right? It is easy to forget that you are listening to Jesus pray for you. Even here, immediately, right, he's talking about the disciples. But what you're seeing in these verses we're going to look at, basically over the next two weeks, 6 through 19, what you're seeing here, what you're hearing is Jesus, he is praying for you. And it's not just back then. Because don't forget, this is what Hebrews 2 says, I think Hebrews 7 what Jesus is doing here is he is interceding for us. That work of intercession, that priestly work, doesn't end after he goes to the cross, after this, dies, raises, and is ascended to the right hand of God. That priestly work of intercession continues. He continues to pray for us, to intercede. What is he praying? There are four things here. And I think that what we'll find at the end is that these four things that we're seeing, they bring a lot of coherence to this whole chapter. At least it did for me. Incidentally, I, I don't like I don't like Ben McGraw very much right now because this is hard. John 17 is hard. Right? So, yeah, I won't even. Just trust me. Didn't get much sleep, right? Four things that he's praying for you and I. First one is that we'll glorify him, second one is that the Father will preserve us, the third one is that we'll be one. And the fourth one is that his joy will fill us. And really those last three are answers to the first one. Or at least unpacking how that goes. So the first one, Jesus is praying for us that we will glorify him. I get that from verses 9 to 10 of John 17. 9 to 10 
Listen to this. Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So those two things, right? I'm praying for them, and then I'm glorified in them. It has this sense of the glorified, I'm glorified in them, is the result of I'm praying for them. So two things that we want to kind of look at at first. Who is them? Who, who are these people that he's praying for and what is it to glorify him? So you back up and we'll look at verses 6 to 8. And we're going to stay pretty much in John. So Jesus says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. They received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So who are the them or who is them? Is these people that the Father has given to the Son and he has revealed the name of the Father to? Don't miss that. It's the people that God has given to Jesus. We said that at the very beginning. Jesus says this at the very start of chapter 17. But it is a refrain. He says it over and over again. And he says it in these convoluted kind of ways. You know, yours they were, you gave them to me. And revealing his name, remember, we talked about this early on, 17, 1 through 5, that that name is the character of God. So, but think of it this way, all right? So Jesus is coming and he is helping us, he's allowing us to see the invisible God. So get this, right? The invisible God, you can't see him. You can know him, right? Power, right? Um, divine nature. But there is something of him, a lot of him, that you cannot know if we don't have Jesus. And not just because Jesus is the way that we get to him. It's because of who Jesus is. This is hugely important. Jesus, second person of the Trinity, we've said this, took on flesh. Human nature. While remaining divine. No mixing, no collapsing of the natures. But it is this person, second person of the Trinity. And what, is, what do we see that we could never see if we had no Jesus? You don't get to see this goodness of God. That's a general sort of 
attribute, character of God. We don't get to see the goodness, but we can sort of kind of branch that out. You don't get to see the wisdom. That wisdom, that attribute, that, you know, wherein God directs what he's going to do to put himself on display. You don't get to see compassion. You don't get to see love. You don't get to see grace. I mean, we get to see shadows of it in the Old Testament. Remember, right? We wouldn't have those if we had no Christ. They are there, those shadows are there, because Christ is here. And Christ is here because, 17, 1 through 5, before the foundations of the world, this honor, this glory of being this Savior, representative image, right, uh, here to us. All of that, before the foundations of the world. If that wasn't here, we would have no shadows and types. We would have no Jesus in the flesh. We would know no God like this. We would be forever distant and away from him. Jesus is not just a means, right? It's not just a means, dying and then we get to go. Right? He, is, he is the expression, right? The exact representation of that divine image, nature. That is what Jesus was putting on display to these people that God had given him. And that word, okay, so when he says he kept the word, that's the word that he kept. They kept. This, this expression, this, think of it this way, this revelation of God through Christ. That's what they grabbed onto. That's what they held onto. And he says, now, that the, he said, and it's real awkward. Listen to the way he says it again. He says, um, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Isn't that a weird way to say that? I would, I would think you would say, now they know that everything I got came from you. But he's praying to the Father. This is, sort of really accentuates the dependence of the Son on the Father. Everything that I have, now they see it, Father. Everything that you've given me, and I've been saying that you gave it to me, but everything that you've given me, now they see it. That you've given it to me, that it's from you. But it gets better, right? How does that happen? Then Jesus goes into this sort of thing. I gave them your words, which is about this. Me coming and putting you on display. That word they received. I gave them those words. They received it. And then it says that they came to know that he came from the Father. But that's just one thing, right? Oh, yeah, he came from the Father. But then we also see they believed that you sent me. You sent me as this representative image. They got it. They believed it. Why? Because you gave them to me. These 
These are the people that Jesus is praying for. And it's incidentally, that's what it is to glorify him. That's what it is to glorify him. To recognize, Jesus, how would I know who God is? How would I even, or has, where, where, what, Peter? Was it Peter? I think it was. It says, where are we going to go? <laughs> where are we going to go? You are the only access that we have to God. You are it. Where are we going to go? That's glorifying the Son. So, Jesus is praying here. I'm praying for them, what? these folks that you've given me that have grabbed hold of this revelation of God that you sent me to bring to them. They've grabbed hold of this. And they've grabbed hold of it because they're yours. You gave them to me. Well, they didn't stop being yours. They're still yours. And because of that, all of mine are yours. This is what Jesus says. And then he says, well, and then all of mine are yours because you gave them to me and they're still yours. But then also means that all of yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. These folks that are ours, you. This is, this is you. I am praying for them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for a second? Again, immediately praying for the apostles. Grant that. But can you imagine that we ever need Jesus to stop praying for us? Wherever you are right now. Can you, could that be even a thought? Have you... Have you and possibly you haven't, have you considered that your life depends on him praying for you? We're supposed to glorify God, right? That's why we're here. Glorify God and join him forever. How do you think that happens? Your Savior prays for you to glorify Him. Now, how does that, how does that happen? Okay, look at two. First one, He prays that we'll glorify Him. The second one, the second petition, that the Father will preserve us. Okay, look at verse 11. Praise that the Father will preserve us. He says, and it's like the, I guess, sort of near the, it's the second part of verse 11, where he says, Holy Father, excuse me, Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. So he's just said, these folks that you've given me, I have revealed you to them. That's the reason that if you're holding fast to Christ here, the only reason that that's happened is because Jesus has revealed the Father to you. He has opened up your eyes. He has shown you 
who his father was. That's the only reason that's happening. Those people that the father gave the son that Jesus is praying for now, he says, Holy Father, keep them in that name, that same name, your name, the name that I manifested and that you've given to me. Again, we have this idea, and I I wish I'd have thought to draw this on the thing, but just imagine a circle, right? A circle. And in that circle, we have goodness. We have wisdom, compassion, love, mercy, grace, the name, who God is. Jesus is praying, Father, Keep them in there. So it's sort of this spatial idea. Father, keep them in there. Okay, we can go this way. What he's asking is that the Father would preserve them, would keep them faithful to that name. He's asking that the Father would keep them faithful to the re- re- that revelation of God that has come through Christ. Where else are we going to find God? Nowhere. We had to have a God who is in the flesh to reveal him to us. That is the closest that we get here. That is the most that we are exposed to, that we get to participate in. We, we, we are as close, well, we could say loosely, as close to God as we could be because he came to us. Keep them there. That's what Jesus is asking the Father. Incidentally, that's what Jesus is kind of already said in John 17, 3. You remember there, Jesus says, you know, you gave me all authority, authority over all flesh to give eternal life. And you remember what eternal life is? To know the one true God. Jesus who he sent. He's praying that the Father would keep them, would would make them faithful, loyal, to hold on to that knowledge of this God that they know, this life that they've been given. That's how we will glorify Christ, part one. Next one, three. Here's the three. Jesus prays that we will be one. So he's praying that we will glorify him. He's praying that the Father will preserve us, right? And that's going to that's gonna be a great, great help in glorifying him, considering what keeping us in the name is. Now, that we will be one. And what's the oneness? And we can see this briefly. Um, I know... Um, uh, um, Morris, 
Sorry, Morris, I forgot your name for a second. Morris covered some of this last week. What is this oneness? Well, remember he says that we will be one as the Father and the Son are one, right? As you and I are one. But not exactly. Right? There's no way that we could be one exactly like the Father and the Son are one, right? And you, you know why? Because we don't have a divine nature. You'll never have. You'll never be divine in that sense. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son and the Father, right? Two persons, the Holy Spirit, three persons, one essence, one being. It's not like they have, you know, their own power and their own will, each of them individual. That's not the idea. One, one deity, divine being, nature, three persons sharing that same nature fully. We see the Son, we get all of God. We see the Father, we get all of God. We see the Spirit, we get all of God, right? You don't get like a third of Him. But we can't do, we can't be one like that. Maybe a better way of thinking about this, as the Father and the Son, would be the way that Jesus has been talking up to this point in the work that the Father has given him, given him to do. The Father sent the Son to reveal Him. And you know what the Son did? The Son came. He came to reveal the Father. This is why you have all of this repetition in John. If you read you know, early on. Jesus is always talking about, you know, I, this is the Father's work that I'm doing. These are the Father's words, right? You know, this stuff that you do, this is the Father doing His thing through me, giving testimony to who I am. This is the way in which Jesus can mean, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen, you've seen Him. So this oneness for us, the idea, is that we, you and I have the same purpose. We share the same love in our action with each other and for one another. In our submission to this revelation of God through Christ Jesus. That's our oneness. Jesus is praying that that will be. Certainly, there's an outward expression. I mean, D.A. Carson says it's not institutional, but it is observable. Right? We could see some of this stuff. But the idea is even deeper, right? Is there's a way in which that oneness is granted and given. We share in the Spirit We'll come back to that in a moment. But here's a big point to remember. Okay? We don't want to get lost in, okay, well, now how are we one? Is there one? Because one of the things that we can miss if we do that is that our oneness isn't the point in and of itself. It's that we're one 
like them. This is why later on that what Morris covered, this is why when they see, the world sees this oneness, they see that Jesus sent the Son. That's the point. They see, the world sees, I and you and you and me, meaning the Father and the Son. That's the point. Putting Father and Son on display. That's why Jesus prays that the Father keeps us so that we be one and we're one. So that, we could say roughly so that, the oneness of the Father and the Son is seen by everybody. That's how we glorify God, or the Son, part two. Here's the last one, four. Jesus says, or rather it's that, um, that his joy will, will fill us. Now, let me read some of the parts of 11 that I missed. So verse 11 says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in, the na- in, in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then 12 and 13. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. What is Jesus talking about? He says, I speak these things in the world. What things? Some folks, will, some folks would say, well, it's all of 13 through 16, right? The whole farewell discourse. That's, that's a possibility, right? There's Maybe a little bit more reason to think that what Jesus is talking about immediately is what he's been praying. So this would almost be like, I guess a summary. Jesus says, I pray these things. Where this is all headed what I'm hoping for them, being kept in his name, glorifying him. It's not about statistics. It's not. Where this is all headed is that they have my joy in them, that they have my delight. That delight, that satisfaction of knowing this God of participating in this this triune family. Of being in the world and being about what this God is about. Because what else is there? That's what this joy is. You can look at it in 15.8. Through 11. John 15, 8 through 11. Here's what Jesus says.
Jesus says, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is restating what he's already said. And don't get lost, because it's really easy to go, well, I guess, though, but we got to obey him to earn this sort of place in his love. Well, remember, he says abide, right? In order to abide, you got to be there. Does that make sense? I mean, in John 15, 1, Jesus told his disciples, you guys are clean. Abide in me. But we're not left to our own because remember, Jesus is already praying that we'll glorify him. And he's praying that we'll glorify him. The, the, the way that that's going to happen, he's praying that the Father will keep us holding fast. Sort of the, the end game here is do you realize that everything you need, he is giving to you. This salvation, this living with him, our being a church, our being his people, you know how that's going to come off? You know how that's going to happen? Because he is praying for us. That's the way it will happen. That's our hope. You see, outside of, outside of Christ, you don't have any hope. Outside of him, you are cut loose, set sail, adrift. Outside of him. As his people, those the Father has given to him, to him. You have everything. Everything. You can call out to this Savior. Right? Struggling, right where you are, right? Because anybody, anybody glorifying God perfectly here? Anybody? Nobody? You could call out to your Savior. And you know what? He says, I'm praying for you. Come to me. I'm praying for you. And this brings us to this last part of this, which is probably a really huge part. Right? It's this, these parts that I read, but I want just to touch on them one more time. All of this, and this is where the whole thing has been headed, right? Or where it comes from and where it's going. Jesus said in 11... Um, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you. And then 13, he says, but I'm coming to you, right? Because he has in 12, he says, you know, I was, when I was with them, I was keeping them. They were with me, right? When Jesus was, you know, remember whenever he says, you know, the spirit is with you, but, uh, then, but after a while, uh, it'll, the spirit will be in you right after the resurrection. That's because Jesus had the spirit and he was with them. So Jesus is saying, I am, I'm coming to you, 
They're going to, I mean, excuse me, I'm no longer in the world. They're still here. I'm coming to you. You know, and I was, I was here doing this thing. But now I'm coming to you. What's that about? When I was, and I could be wrong here, but I was reading that. And at first I was reading it as the, with this idea of concession. Right? Sort of like, okay, Father, you know, I'm going to be gone for a while. Can you hang on to him? Can you hang on to him until I get back? But then you start thinking about, okay, well, how long is Jesus gone? Have you ever thought about this? Like, I mean, how long was he not with them? Like three days. Father, keep him in your name for three days. I know that's tough, but can you do that for me? That's not what he's doing. I mean, he, he rose, he was there for 40 days, and then he ascended. So you get this? See what's happening? Jesus ascends, and then what does he do? Pours out his spirit. His spirit. Get it? Paul calls, after the resurrection, Jesus, life-giving spirit. So you got this weird, weird sort of dynamic where you got the, the son and the spirit, Jesus and the spirit. Now it's sort of like their functions, not their persons, get collapsed. So what the spirit is doing, he's doing, what the spirit is doing is what Jesus is doing, just in the same way that what Jesus was doing was what the father was doing. All of this has been headed towards the resurrection. This is not a concession. Father, I'm going away, right? So hang on to him. Keep him safe for me until I get back. No. Jesus is saying, I'm no longer in the world. I did it. I'm done. Woo! I'm finished. And I'm coming to you, which means I'm going to be raised, which means, Father, you give what you promised me. Them. You give this honor, this glory that you gave before the world began. See, we sort of looped all the way back to John 17, 1 through 5. This is sort of, I guess, the last glorify him part three or four. This is how it happened. Everything depends on the resurrection and the ascension. It's the basis for what he's just prayed. Every bit of it is he's coming to the Father. If that wasn't happening, none of this would have happened. We wouldn't have a Savior. Father, Son are glorified. Remember Jesus? Glorify me that I might glorify you. Right? Jesus is glorified in the salvation that he's won for his people. That's what he came to do. That's what he agreed to freely. Right? He's the head of the church. He's this representative image of God. He is this, he, he is granted this honor. All glory 
as our Savior, our Redeemer. All of this is what Jesus has been praying for from beginning to end. It's this nice, tight circle. You can ask yourself, is this, is this the Savior that you're hoping in? Ask yourself, wow, do I, do I really, like, know that I need him that much? I mean, am I aware? Am I allowing that to just wash over me every day? Jesus, I need you. Pray. Jesus, I need you to call out for me. Jesus, I need you to be interceding for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're interceding for me. Did you know that's who he was and what he does? My hope is, I think what, what John has been calling us to is to worship that Christ. Hold fast to him and all that he has revealed of this God that we can now know. To whose image we can be more and more conformed to. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Saying this to the disciples. This is all sort of right around the same time. For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. People of God, as you eat this bread and as you drink this cup, you have the Savior, Christ, showing up, the triune God, showing up here. He's not just out there somewhere and we're going, hey, we got you, thank you. He is, he is here and he is saying, this is for you. As surely as you eat it, as surely as you drink it, know that you are mine and I am yours. And Christ says, you have all that I have given to you. Take it.
Let's distribute the elements.